Who needs that water stuff? <laughs> Lord have mercy. So it's been a kind of a crazy week, no? Been a crazy week. Crazy, crazy. So I just, um, you know, I don't know. My heart's <clears throat> pretty burdened for the Cantrell family. It's, that's a rugged, a rugged deal. So before we crack open the word, let's just, as a body, lift them up. Father God, we just come to you, Lord, and uh, nobody else. There's no hope under heaven anywhere for any way to redeem the situation, God. But, but you are a God who is able. Yes. So God, I just pray that you would bring your comfort, that you would bring your healing, that you would bestow your peace. And in and through it all, God, I pray that they might be able, as a family, loved ones, friends, all those that are touched around the whole situation, I pray that they would enter in to your rest. So, God, we lift them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would join me, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, we'll read together. It says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, They shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Father God, we lift your word to you, Lord Jesus, for it is your word that has the power to change, to save, to to effectively make us new. God, I pray, Lord, that we would come to your word, that we would have open hearts to receive it, Lord God. And Lord, that we would say, I need to 
Not just be a hearer only, but a doer also. God, make us diligent. We lift this time to you and we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we come to this section, one of the exciting things about Hebrew is, or the book of Hebrews, is that it is the most perfect, impeccable creation of Greek grammar in the entire Bible. Which also makes it difficult. Sometimes difficult to lay a hold of and comprehend and understand. Probably written by a scholar for scholars. I mean, the, these guys were not, were not lame. They, they understood. They understood the word then, and they understood that what's being said. So hopefully we're able to just kind of put ourselves into it and, and, and pull out what it is that God has for us this morning. Because when we look at chapter 3, we see chapter 3 last week ended with a warning. The warning, looking back to those who had gone before, right? Looking back in the Old Testament to the children of Israel, coming out of the promised land, that there was a rest for them that God had for them. There was a rest that God had for them that they didn't get. And the Bible tells in Hebrews 3.19... So we see they could not enter in. Why? Because of unbelief. Unbelief. It kind of melts my mind sometimes. You know, Jesus, when he came to the pool of Bethsaida, he said something to a man who was sick there. (coughs) He walked up to him and he said, Do you want to be well? Sometimes we got to ask that question. Sometimes people don't want to be well. Sometimes people don't want to have the rest God has for them. Sometimes people don't want to experience the things that God has for them, that God has laid out for them. Why? Because they're caught in a web of unbelief, distrust, unwillingness, afraid, whatever reason, maybe they're... They're going to be let down or I don't know. I don't know all the things that hold us back. But I know this. During my time when I was walking like that, my life was not better. The only difference between then and now is then I had no hope. And now I do. I don't know how you do this life without hope. I don't know how you get up in the morning and do the next thing you got to do or make the next step forward in whatever plan you might have. You don't have hope. But Jesus, man, he he came to give us this incredible hope. And he gives us an example in chapter 3 of those who would not lay hold of the promise that God had for them. Those whose answer, if they had been at the pool of Bethsaida, would have been, no. I want to wander in this desert for 40 years. What do you think that was like, man? 40 years of wandering around in a desert. What, what do you hope to see tomorrow? Sand. What about the next day? Sand. You think you got humdrum? Try 40 years of walking around in sand. What are you going to do tomorrow? Sand. 
What about this? What are you going to eat tomorrow? Manna. What are you going to eat the next day? Manna. What are you going to eat the next day? Manna. For how long? 40 years? Kathy's been gone for seven days. Me and Joe have had McDonald's so many times. (coughs) I'm pretty sure I don't ever want to see that place again. But every time Joe looks at me, he says, Dad, let's go to McDonald's. Oh, please, Lord, have mercy. Can you imagine the humdrum existence when you refuse to believe the promises God gives? Just think about 40 years. Same thing to eat every day. Same thing to look at every day. And I forget the numbers. There's some crazy number of 100 and some funerals a day for 40 years until the entire generation died out. God said, I had a rest for them. I had a rest. But they would not believe. So they couldn't enter because of unbelief. But then look, Hebrews chapter 3 also told us in verse 12 and 13, it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So he brings that around. Doesn't just look at them. He says, now, does that describe your life? 40 years of humdrum in the wilderness? Because that's not God. That's our unbelief. He says, Beware, lest any of you have an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. But then what's he tell us to do about it? But he says, exhort one another daily while it is called today. So have you ever woke up when today was called something different? So what does that mean? Daily we're supposed to exhort one another lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What does that mean? It means perseverance is a community project. It means endurance is a community project. It means that we are supposed to support one another and encourage one another and challenge one another if we're not measuring up, if we're not walking in faith, if we're not experiencing that rest that God has for us. Because there's still a rest. There's still a rest. So in Hebrews chapter 4, he continues to build on that idea by letting us know that we need to remember God's promise, but not only God's promise, how do we have to receive God's promise? By faith. You have to trust Him. We have to trust Him. Hebrews 4, 1, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest, still a rest. So that means the rest wasn't the land. Right? Because that's over. He says, since there still remains a promise of entering his rest, let us fear. Now how, you can count on one hand how many times God tells you to do that. There's 365 times God tells us what not to fear. There's one time he tells us what to fear. He says, let us fear. Lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. You get the idea of those who hear 
They're hearers only, not doers. The Word bounces off. Remember how we've talked about that before? The Word of God goes out. The Word of God goes out. The Gospel goes out. Sometimes you're going to share your faith with people, and that Word that you share just bounces off of those hard hearts, just like the seed of the sower thrown on the rocks. So we have to pray that God prepare the heart to receive the seed, right? So that that heart is tore up and the soil is ready and prepared to receive that seed so that 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 life-giving word mixes with faith and accomplishes that perfect work that it was sent to. So what is this rest that is promised to us? There's a lot of things (coughs) the writer of Hebrews is going to bring out. Uh, about that rest. So, so we'll point out those things, but I always go back to whenever I think of rest, I always go back to what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 11, written on a wall in the foyer slash foyer slash lobby, whatever makes you happy. It's out there. It says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What is that rest? Exactly what it sounds like. Exactly what it sounds like. God didn't call and say, look, I want you guys to to have to carry all of these things. Nope, he said, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, you got a pile of stuff on you, pressure, whatever, God says, come to me. All you who labor, take my yoke upon you. For what purpose? To learn from me, Jesus said. Learn from me. Learn. Don't be a hearer only, but be a... What's the difference between learning and hearing? Hearing don't do nothing. I heard a lot of teachers in my life in school. I heard them. You know what they sound like? But I did not learn nothing until I decided to open up my mind and say, boy, unless I want to be here forever, I got to have to do something different. We want to learn from him. Why? Because he says, I am gentle and lowly at heart. When's the last time you, you, you thought of God that way? I am God and I am gentle and lowly. Humble. And you will find rest for your soul. Man, there's no place like the rest of Jesus Christ. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. That's a rest Jesus promised. If that rest doesn't describe your Christian experience, it's not the Word that's at fault. It's not the Word. The Word says what it says and means what it means. It has to be mixed with faith for us. So what's the response? Here's a rest that remains... How is it that we are supposed to respond? That phrase, he says, let us fear. In the original Greek, that whole verse, four, chapter 4, verse 1, begins like this in the Greek. Let us fear, therefore. That's word order. So he's saying, in light of the warning in chapter 3, that you can, through unbelief, not enter into the rest that God has, he begins with this phrase, let us fear, Therefore, let us fear. That means, that, to me, it carries the idea that, that he's going to end this, this section with, which is, be diligent. 
See, sometimes we treat the gospel, which has the power of God to change my life, to bring peace and rest, not only that I might experience here, but eternally, like it's such a little thing, barely deserves any of my time. But you're not going to find that in the Bible. You're not going to find that teaching in the Word of God. In Hebrews, he says, man, we, we need to fear this. We need to be diligent. We need to recognize that this is a huge part of our life with God. And it matters beyond all those other things that clutter our life. Remember the parable of the sower? Do you remember there was a place where the seed went, but there were so many weeds that it choked it all out and nothing grew there? Remember when we look at the parable of the soils, that three of the soils brought forth nothing. And one of the soils brought forth harvest. Those are important things to understand. Those are important things. He says, let us fear, therefore. Now, he does use this word, doke, lest any of you seem. Seem, that word doke, it, it softens the blow. He's not telling the people he's writing to, hey, you guys have blown in and you've already messed up. No, he's just saying, look, we got to be careful. we got to be diligent. we got to really apply ourselves to this ideal, this concept of having faith and trust in God. Because is your, is your faith and trust in God or is your faith and trust in a prayer you prayed? The prayer is oftentimes the beginning. But guys, I have met people who told me, yeah, I'm a believer. I prayed a prayer in kindergarten. And I've never been to church, never opened my Bible, Never done anything with this concept. And my question would be, is your faith in that prayer? Because that prayer don't save. Who saves? Jesus saves. Where's our faith got to be? Our faith's got to be in Jesus Christ. Our faith's got to be in the Lord. Our faith has got to be in Him. And it's, it's so vital that we grasp that because so many people are perishing for for. A lack of applying unbelief is holding them back from the rest that God has. Let us fear, therefore. What should we fear? We should fear unbelief, right? 319. Fear unbelief. They couldn't enter because of that. Now listen, I just want you to hear a couple of places where Paul kind of echoes this idea. Philippians 2.12 Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but also much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now we try to comfort one another with the, these things, but I think that the scripture has them actually for our comfort. For what purpose? That we're supposed to be diligent about that. That we're supposed to be engaged. Right? Oh, come on. 
you got a special football team in 30 seconds or less, I can tell you what it is. You're either wearing their shirt, you got their tattoo on your arm someplace, some guy's got a tattoo on their forehead, you know. Whatever you're into, you wear it. It shines forth from you. You see it all over the place. Whatever, whatever team I'm into, whatever hunting gear I like, I wear their hats, I wear their clothes, I wear their shirts. I'm willing to express all the things I'm into. Are we expressing the reality that we're in Christ? Because I think that's what he's talking about. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean I've got to work for it to somehow apply it. We're going to see that as we work our way through Hebrews. But it is going to say I need to be diligent about it. Not just leave it somewhere on a back burner hoping it all works out okay. But saying, yeah, I, I want to apply myself. I want to engage myself in the Lord and what He has for us. Romans 11.20 says this. <coughs> Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. So, so we're looking at the same thing. He's talking about Israel in Romans 11. And they're, they're being, or missing out on the promise that God had for them. Again, because of unbelief, they were broken off. Look what he says. And you stand by faith. They messed up. You stand by faith. What's it say? Do not be haughty, but fear. Take it seriously. Take it seriously. Man, I had a chance in uh, Las Vegas, like, gosh, I'm so old. (laughs) 20 years ago, probably. I'm 30 years old. I was 30 years old. Uh, I I was still in the rebellion. I had long, crazy long hair, and I went bungee jumping. So we go up on the top of this 250-foot tower. It was, I don't know if they still got it there, but it was, it was right outside Circus Circus. We go up on top of this tower. Now that tower, I don't know what they call what it's made out of, but you can look right through it. Okay, so it's steel, but, you know, there's no comfort in the fact that when you look down, you can't see that you're 250 feet in there. All right, you with me? But solid under your feet, you can see right through it. So we climb up there, we get on the top of this tower, 250 feet in there. Uh, maybe some of you guys been a lot higher, jumped out of planes. Yeah, you had a parachute. I had a rubber band on my feet. <laughs> so they sit you down on this bench and they strap this, this basically it's a bungee cord. It's hilarious. But they strap this thing around your ankles. By the way, they ask you how much you weigh. Don't lie. It is not worth bumping on your head on the ground. <laughs> yep, I told the truth, truth, true truth. And oh yeah, I'll tell you. I'm, in fact, I might even go heavy a little bit. Okay, they give you some instructions. They strap this thing to you. You're about, I don't know, five feet away from the edge. You can see all the way down, 250 feet. Feet are tied together. And the guy says, hop to the edge. What? How about you pick me up and carry me over there? Do you know how many chances there are something bad happens between here and there? When I'm on top of that tower, I took seriously the fact that I didn't want to go off that edge anytime early. 
I'm a, you want to talk about diligence? I was diligent. I never hopped so good in my life. Precisely. You guys might be in trouble because I don't guarantee it'll work this time. Hopping all the way to the edge. They get you all the way to your toes are hanging off end. Yeah, trust me. I took seriously every instruction they were giving me. Like, that thing's tied on, right? We're all good. Count down from five. Woo! Off the edge. Into a bucket of water. I thought it was so cool. They videoed it, you know. Be cool to go into water. You know, I didn't think about what happens after that. You guys know what happens after that? You come to the end of that cord, you know what happens? It snatches you out of that water like you cannot even begin to imagine. And you're upside down. Where do you think all that water goes? Right up your nose. And I don't care what you do. There ain't nothing you can do about it. That water went up my nose, out my ears. (coughs) When I was up on that tower, I was diligent. And that was just a little thing to have fun. Are we that diligent with our salvation? That's eternity, man. Are we that diligent about what God's word teaches us about how we are to be, the things we ought to do, how we ought to live? So, so we see, here's the warning. We want to fear. We want to take it seriously. We want to really apply ourselves. But what was experienced in the wilderness? He says, he says that the gospel was presented to them just like it was to us. Uh, maybe you never thought about that. Let's take a look at it. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Exodus 34, 6 says, So the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Man, if that's not gospel, I don't know what is. But the other part of the verse, people don't don't want to apply the gospel. But it's gospel. He says, by no means clearing the guilty. For the iniquity of the fathers will be visited upon their children. And their children's children. And their children's children's children. What's he mean? It means the guilty don't go free. What does that mean? Yeah, we're all guilty. So how do we experience that forgiveness? Well, it's grace. Look, Jesus expounds on it when he presents the grace to us. John chapter 3, verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That's a pretty incredible promise, right? What's the purpose? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. This is all, how. what's He going to do with the guilty? What's God going to do with the guilty? Because He's not going to let the guilty go. And there's nobody that ain't guilty. 
So we're under wrath. We're under wrath, but then Jesus. For the Old Testament saint, what did they have? A lamb. Right? God said, take that lamb and you offer it to me and I'll cover your sins. And then John the Baptist looked at Jesus the Christ and said to him, Behold, the Lamb of God, which does what? Takes away the sin of the world. The final sacrifice. There he is. There he is. The final sacrifice. Listen to what Jesus is saying in John, <coughs> John chapter 3. He did not come to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. So you're guilty until you do what? Believe in God. Till you hear the promise of God, mix it with faith and believe it. You hear and you believe. He who believes in Him is not content, condemned, but he who does not believe, what's it say? Is condemned already. What did He say in Exodus? The guilty don't go free. The guilty don't go free. And this is the condemnation. He goes on in verse 19. This is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world. Who said, I am the light of the world? Jesus. So he's the light. Light has come into the world, but men did what? Love the darkness rather than the light. You see that word love? That's the word agape. That's how men love the dark. Men love sin in the darkness like God loved the world. What did God do when He loved the world that way? He gave Himself for the world. What do men do when they love sin that way? They give themselves to the sin. They give themselves to sin. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds would be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Same gospel preached but it wasn't mixed with faith. It wasn't mixed with faith. Man, you gotta, you got to believe it. You, you can hear it bounce right off your head. Do absolutely nothing. You can come to church every day of your life. It's got to be real. That's the warning of Hebrews. You're going to get the warning out of Hebrews all over Hebrews. You're going to get it in chapter 4. You're going to get it in chapter 6. And you better hold on for chapter 10 because that's crazy when we get there. Warning, 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 warning. What's the warning of Hebrews? Be a possessor, not a professor. It means it has to be reality. I have to have it in my hands, not just on my lips. If I say it with my lips, the easy part's done. I got to actually possess. I actually got to possess that which God has. For me. So why? Why did this happen? Why did they reject this good news? It says the word that they heard did not profit them, <coughs> not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. The word and faith didn't mix together. They heard, but they did not believe. They heard, but they did not believe. Numbers chapter 13, verse 26. Let's just rehearse those events. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron. We're talking about the spies. And all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them, to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. 
And they told them and said, We went to the land where you sent us, and it flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites and Jebusites and Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once. Let's go. Why would Caleb say that? Because God had said, Wherever you put the sole of your foot is yours. Wherever you put the sole of your foot, it's yours. Caleb had faith in what God had said and he was ready. (coughs) He was ready to go. He said, we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up. The people are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great stature. Then we saw the giants. You're all right, sis. Then we saw the giants... <clears throat> the descendants of Anak, and we were like grasshoppers, listen to this phrase, in our sight. And so we were in theirs. Why? Because they couldn't see that giant pillar of fire behind them. They couldn't see that giant pillar of cloud. They couldn't remember the presence of God that had been with him and the promise of God that said, wherever you go, I'll be with you. Wherever you go, I'll be with you. Numbers 14, 1 and 2, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. The people wept, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation and said, If only we had died in Egypt. If only we had died in this wilderness. Verse 11, then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. God saying to Moses, I'm done. I'll start over. Verse 20, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. Moses prayed for the people, but truly as I live, All the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. That's what happened. That's what this guy keeps pointing back to. Man, they, they had the promise of God. But it didn't mix with faith. They were hearers, but not doers. Unwilling to move forward. So what does this story in the past reveal? Look at verse 3 of Hebrews 4. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he said, and he quotes Psalm 95. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. What's he telling us? Without faith, there is no hope 
of entering God's rest. Without faith, there's no hope. The wrath of God is all that's left. Faith in God or the wrath of God. Ephesians 2.3 says this, Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath. What did it say in John chapter 3? What did Jesus say? I didn't come to condemn the world because what? The world's already condemned. It's already condemned. I came to make a way. I came to make a way to peace, a way to rest, a way of salvation. I've come to to show these things. I, I came to do that. So we are all, by nature, children of wrath. Romans 1, verse 18 and 19 says this, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against how much ungodliness? And the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. Listen, for who showed it to them? You ever think about that? God says everyone's without an excuse. Because what they need to know of me, I've shown them. But they don't want to see it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to apply it. And they're responsible for it. The wrath of God. The wrath of God. Children of wrath. He said, so I swore in my wrath. They're not going to enter my rest. What is it that Jesus came to do? Save us from what? The wrath of God. He took upon himself God's wrath. That was the cross. He took upon himself the wrath of God. So that you and I who deserved it would be able to take on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Well, how do we do that? By faith, we believe what he said. And that faith that we have in what he said makes us not hearers only, but doers also. Because we take seriously salvation, right? It's just not some flippant thing. We take seriously a relationship with Christ. It's not just some something we, we think about that we keep on the back burner, we take it seriously. Now, why, what was this reference to the works of God? Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. And what's he talking about? Now, he's going to refer to a rest. He's going to refer to a rest. I want to be able to define this rest. God, what are you talking about this rest? I know it's not the land. So he's going to go all the way back to Genesis 2. 2. To tell us the rest he's talking about. The rest you have when you've finished all your work. When you've finished all your work and you can rest. In Exodus 20, which is where the law is given, he says in verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your cattle, your stranger who is within your gates. Why? For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh. Just a little side note. Some people like to make each one of those days a million years. 
But you don't live your life that way. What do I mean? Well, then, if you live your life that way, it would be in six million years the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and so you get a day off after six million years. Oh, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Those are really days. Oh, okay. Well, if they're really days here, what were they in the beginning? And the morning and the evening were a geological age? Yeah, it'd be interesting to figure that out, right? Because the last morning and evening I had was called a day. See how easy that is? So, (coughs) he's laying out the concept of the Sabbath rest. This is the rest that is promised. Look at verse 4. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. He's spoken, this is from Genesis 2-2. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So what's this instruction? What's he laying out for us, this concept of rest? Each of the days of creation had a beginning and an ending. The evening and the morning were the first. The evening and the morning were the second. The evening and the morning was the third. You know which one didn't have any any constraints put on it? The seventh day. Because God said, I'm done creating So I'll rest from creation. The work is finished. Now that concept, the work is finished, so I'm going to rest, is what's going to also be correlated to Jesus Christ. Why? Because the work of redemption is finished. So what's he doing? He's going to rest. What did he say when he he came up into heaven according to Daniel chapter 7? In Psalm 110, what is it that the Lord said to him? Sit down. Why? Because the work's done. Sit down until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus is resting. Why? Redemption's done. God is resting. Why? Creation was done. Does that mean God's not doing anything? No, we know that's not what he's talking about. We're going to see that in just a moment. So, there's no end to the day of creation. So what believers can now enter is none other than the same kind of rest which a creator enjoyed when he finished his work. Which means that the rest idea is of completion, not inactivity. It's finished. It's finished. Remember, this is a book written to Hebrews. Hebrew believers who were struggling with whether or not to hold on to Jesus Christ as a finished work of salvation and stay rested in Him, or... Try to find some other way, some other work system, sacrificial system, go to the temple, whatever, to try to complete what Jesus Christ had done. He said, look, in the old days, in the wilderness, they didn't enter into rest because they didn't believe what God told them. So you need to believe what God said. Jesus Christ has paid it all. And if we enter into him... We enter into rest. Because the work is finished. But when we think about entering into Christ, it should be something for which we are diligent, serious, focused. Not lackadaisical, not, not any other attitude. What's he calling us to? Being focused. Being focused. He's talking not about inactivity, that nothing else is going on. Why do I know that? Because in John 5, 17, 
Jesus said, my father is working. What day was he talking about? In fact, it's the Sabbath day he's speaking of. He says, my father is working and I'm working still. Who's holding the whole universe together? You think he takes a day off from that? You know what? Today is the Sabbath. I'm not going to hold the universe together today. No. He's still maintaining. He's still holding. He's still functioning. But the work of creation is done. Jesus is living forever to make intercession for you and I as a glorious high priest we can hold on to. He's still functioning in that work, but the work of redemption is finished. That which is needed, that which needed to be provided so that you and I could step out of being a child of wrath. As Ephesians 2.3 says, and hear the phrase that Paul goes on to say, but God who is rich in his mercy and the love with which he has loved us, he has made us alive. How? In Christ. Done. Finished. The rest is available. We only can, only can enter it. We can only enter it through faith. The illustration of the children of Israel in the desert. Look at Hebrews 4, 5. And again, in this place, Psalm 95, they shall not enter my rest. So what's the illustration? Look at verse 6. Since therefore it remains that some must enter in it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, and again he designates a certain day in David saying, Today, after such a long time. What's he mean? David wrote Psalm 95 350 years after. 350 years after the event. The children of Israel, when David wrote Psalm 95, were living where? In the land. The children of Israel had kings in the land. David wasn't the first king, right? The children of Israel had a history of being in the land when David wrote that. So why is David still talking about a rest if the rest was the land? It's not. It's just a picture. It's a picture of through faith we can enter in. Without faith we don't. In faith we can have all that God has for us. Without faith we cannot. After such a long time, 350 years after Moses, as it has been said today... What do we call today? Is there ever a time when today will not be called today? Nope. So there remains a promise rest. There remains a promise rest. For if Joshua, look at verse 8, had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. And God's idea of rest is completely different from man's. So the writer uses this example from Psalm 95 to say, look, this rest that God's talking about is spiritual. It's spiritual. It'll have its fulfillment when we see Jesus face to face. Because then, indeed, there will be rest. But Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. He gives us the peace that does what? Passes all understanding that even though everything's falling apart around us, I can cling to Jesus Christ. And what? 
endure. And what helps me to endure? The body. Because endurance is a community project. We encourage each other when? Today. Do we have to worry about tomorrow? Nope. What do we just do it? Today. So tomorrow, when tomorrow's today, do it again. Endurance is a community project that we come alongside and we encourage one another to see all that God has for us. Look at verse 10 and 11. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, just like God did. He who has entered his, God's rest. So the person who enters into God's rest is finished with his works. Is finished with his works. How do we enter into his rest? Well, Jesus Christ said that he is my Sabbath rest. So I enter into the rest by being found in Christ. Which, by the way, is what Ephesians chapter 1 is all about. Being found in Christ and all the blessings we have being in Christ. And in verse 13 he says, how do we get in Christ? We take the word of his promise and we mix it with faith. We take the word of his promise and we mix it with faith. And we enter in to Christ. We enter into rest. And then do I have to do something to save myself over and over and over again? Do I have to go out and sacrifice a lamb over and over? That's really the context of what's going on here. No, why? Because Jesus Christ is the final sacrifice. It's finished. It's done. It's completed. So I rest from that completed work. Does that mean there's no activity? No, remember I told you this rest is not inactivity because God still holds the world together. Jesus is still praying for the church. We're still supposed to occupy till he come. We're still supposed to engage. So the writer of Hebrews is saying all that we're talking about here is taking seriously this relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. Not putting it on a back burner, putting it in the forefront. Recognizing that only when we enter into Jesus Christ will we have rest. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will. It's either a truth or a lie. If you mix it with faith, it'll do everything it says it does. So, verse 11 so let us, for, so a moment ago we were told, let us fear. Take seriously, now what's he say? Let us therefore diligently, or be diligent to enter that rest. Be diligent. Be diligent, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. In other words, it can't be taken for granted. It's something that that needs to be in the forefront of who we are and what we do. For when our Lord Jesus died for our sins and He rose again from the dead and ascended to heaven where He ever lives to make intercession for us, the work was finished. And as in the same way God the Father rested from creation, so Messiah rested from the work of bringing salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life to all and on all who 
believe. Upon whom the word mixes with faith. When we look at this section, you've got to hear the heart of the guy writing this chapter who is saying, there's a grave danger of history repeating itself. There's a rest available for God's people. But how many are going to wander in the wilderness and never receive it? Because they won't receive it by faith. And that becomes evident in their disobedience. When I believe God, when I trust Jesus Christ... I want to be like them. I want to wear the shirt. I want to get the hat. I want the truth of of my being in Christ to be evident. If that's not true, you're not in them. If you can leave this place, go home, sit down in front of a square box... And when a touchdown is scored, jump up in the air and lift your hands to heaven. And tell me you can't do that here. I'm going to say there's something wrong. Are you really in Christ? Hear the warning that the writer of Hebrews has given us. Take seriously your faith. And recognize that if you're in Christ, the work is finished. Jesus has done it. Now we occupy it till he comes. We, we fulfill that purpose. But otherwise, man, we stay focused. Hold on. Hold fast. Endure. And recognize that is a community project. That's something we all do together. We encourage each other. Challenge each other. So that one day, together, we all enter into the rest of God. Where we look into our Savior's eyes and we hear the phrase, Well done, good and faithful. Enter into your Master's rest. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. God, I thank you for your amazing grace that is able to to bridge the gap between where I am as a child of wrath to where you are as a holy God. And that I realize, Lord, what you're calling me to with this call of diligence, being diligent to enter into that rest is just to not be flippant. To say, I just can't take this for granted, man. I, I, I got to be in, all in or not in. God, I pray, Lord, that we would seriously look at your word and say, is my heart the hard heart that the word of God bounces off of? Or is my heart that soil ready to receive the word that brings forth fruit, whose life now is not looking like a hearer where seeds bounce off, but a doer where the seed takes root 
and changes occur. And it's impossible for me to focus on just changing and fake my way in because i got to receive the word by faith, otherwise it does no good. Man, Lord, I, I don't want to be like those days of old who heard the promises, <coughs> who saw your power, but would not believe. The word just bounced off, glanced off, and never once did those hearers become doers so that they perish in a wilderness of humdrum. They perish in a wilderness where every day is exactly the same and nothing ever changes or ever happens. Why? Because I'm trapped in my unbelief. God, you call us to faith. You call us to trusting in your word and the things that your word teaches. And if we are men and women of faith, then the word of God doesn't bounce off of us. It finds fruitful soil in which the seed takes hold and brings forth a harvest. Fruitfulness in the life of a believer, not because a believer did anything, he just rested in Christ. And by faith, fruit happens. God, I pray that you would help us to give a, get a hold of what is being told us, that Jesus Christ is greater. He's God's final word. That we, won't, we don't want to be like those who are drifting away, who aren't thinking about what's going on. That was our first warning. We don't want to be like those who are just, just falling asleep and slowly going down river. We want to be diligent. We want to be diligent to apply the Word of God by faith to enter into all that God has for us. God, I pray that Your Spirit would do a work in our hearts and lives. Because our nation needs men and women who will not give lip service to Jesus Christ, but who have given themselves wholly, completely, who have received the truth by faith. And God, you begin to change us and transform us from the inside out so that our lives We don't even resemble how we started. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. For we have to believe Him. We have to trust Him. We have to hold on to Him. And the fact that He gives us everything that we need is just a beautiful picture of His amazing grace. God, I pray that it would be our hearts today that we would receive that grace that you have given for us. For I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Your grace changes me. God, be glorified as we by faith lay hold to your promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.